Bibles to Proverbs chapter 7. Proverbs chapter 7. whole chapter verse by verse tonight. As we continue to speak on sexual purity, as I started last week, I spoke on it. I spoke out of Proverbs chapter 6, and it was more of an introduction into the sermon, and uh, it was an appeal to parents to raise their kids sexually moral, and that the parents in the home is the first line of defense in living a moral life. The church is wonderful. It's a great supplement. It comes along with the parent to reinforce that which mom and dad are teaching at home. And I just must say, because we live in such a fractured society because of sin, the church many times are teaching children that aren't being supported at home. But the word of God will never turn void. God knows what he's doing with his word, even though it looks insignificant at times and looks like a band-aid at best. In the hands of God, it's regeneration and salvation. So always remember that. No matter what the circumstances are going on outside the church, God's word never returns void. Let's go to Proverbs chapter 7. Starting in the first verse. I'll give everybody a moment to get there. My son, keep my words and treasure up my commandments within you. Keep my commandments and live. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister. And call insight your intimate friend. To keep you from the forbidden woman. From the adulteress and her smooth words. For at the window of my house, I looked out through my latest. And I have seen among the simple. I have perceived among youths a young man lacking sense. Passing along the street near her corner, taking the road to her house, in the twilight, in the evening, in the time of night and darkness. And behold, the woman meets him, dressed as a prostitute, wily of heart. She is loud and wayward. Her feet do not stay home. Now in the street, now in the market, and on every corner, she lies in wait. She sizes him, kisses him, and with bold face says to him, I had offered sacrifices, and today I have paid my vows. So now I have come out to meet you, to seek you eagerly, and I have found you. I have spread my couch with coverings, colored linens from, from Egyptian linen. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love till morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. My husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He has taken a bag of money with him. At full moon, he will come home. With much seductive speech, she persuades him. Her smooth talk, she compels him. All at once, he follows her. As an ox goes to the slaughter, or as a stag is caught in the fast, till an arrow pierces its liver, and as a bird rushes into a snare, he does not know that it will cost him his life. And now, O sons, listen to me. And be attentive to the words of my mouth. Let your heart not turn aside to her ways. And do not stray into her paths. For many a victim she has laid low. 
and her whole slain um, a mighty throng. Her house is the way of soul, going down to the chambers of death. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, like always, for your word. Ever, ever searching the depths of our heart, God. Ever warning us, ever showing us the way of life. Father God, I pray that you take the word, you search our heart, you make us strong, you give us confidence, you give us assurance, Father God, that we will not get caught up in the snares of this enemy, Lord. Keep us pure, keep us on the right track, we ask, Father God. Bless this sermon in Christ's name. Amen. As I said, we were speaking on sexual purity last week. It was more of an introduction. I will follow up out of this chapter tonight. I just want to make some comments from last week. Uh, we live in a society that has absolutely no sexual boundaries at all. Society has thrown off all moral restraints, labeling them antiquated, repressive, religious. Moral restraint, they say, has no value. It stops a person from experiencing freedom in the expression of the real self. Anything goes at any time with anybody in any circumstance. Nothing's taboo anymore. We live in a moral wilderness. Society has gone crazy for sex. Sex is an idol that is worshipped today. As the all in all for personal happiness and fulfillment. Money, time, resources are spent on it. But the desires are never satisfied. On the contrary, they get worse. It ruins the individual, then the family, then the community, then society. But society just cannot bring itself to condemning it or exposing it. The pain is never mentioned. The statistics are never spoken about. The pain of Sexually transmitted disease, the pain of abortion, the pain of divorce, the pain of family breakups, the pain of emotional, psychological pain to the young teenagers and children, teenage pregnancy, teenage depression, teenage suicide. Much can be traced back to empty sexual encounters that have scarred people deeply within the statistics speak out loud, but society is not listening because once a person or society has removed any moral absolute from the equation, it is by default adopted and anything goes policy and you better be on board, otherwise you will be labeled a bigot, a hate monger, religious, old-fashioned. You're not with it. You got to get progressive. You got to keep up with the times. When we don't, we suffer the same fate as Lot in Genesis chapter 19 when Lot confronted the men of Sodom that were trying to break down the door of his house to have sexual relationship with the men from God, actually. They attacked Lot and he said, Don't do this, my brothers, this evil, wicked thing. And they looked at him and said, Who made you our judge? And that's the world today. Who made you, Christian man? Who made you, Christian pastor? Who made you in the Bible our moral judge? Why should we listen to those antiquated religious teachings from thousands of years ago? Surely things have changed. Things are, we live in a different society today. We need to embrace one another and be tolerant of one another. 
And when we don't, we get the same persecution and threats they gave to us. That's the world we live in. You think the $20 billion porn industry is a major culprit to all this, but it's only part of the problem. The music industry, Hollywood, TV, TV commercials and their advertisements all using graphic sexual content. Even cartoons with their sexual innuendos are not safe anymore. The endorsement of homosexuality, fornication, adultery, one-night stand, teenage sex by primetime media is rampant. It used to be the family out. It's the porn out. Scandal after scandal in politics, schools, business world, military institutions, and unfortunately even in evangelical churches all go to endorse this low view of sex and desensitize our culture to its wrong into its pain. The blatant undermining of parental guardianship by the school system in all areas of a child's education, welfare, and moral upbringing. An education system that has legalized and legitimized sin. Political correctness, they call it. A child can go to a teacher and ask for a condom, birth control pills, abortion, transgender desires, but the school is not obligated to tell a parent And if we as Christians are going to preserve our moral and personal testimonies in this filthy world as we try to honor God that has become an amoral society, anything goes. And we are to encourage others to honor God and escape this pit of corruption. Then we have to be proactive since silence is deadly on this issue. We need not just warn others, but we need to educate them in the beauty of sexual intercourse and the bond of marriage between a male and a female. The Christian knows the origins, the purpose, the desire and design behind sexual intimacy. Honoring each other in a lifelong commitment of fidelity and trust with sex is just an expression of true love. It builds a relationship. It builds trust. It builds oneness in a special way. It says, I love you. And there's always the great joy of conception. For children are a blessing of the Lord. We know how to teach children the beauty of virginity and the power of celibacy. We can truly teach them what the fear of the Lord is. It's the beginning of wisdom. Many Christian parents have all but given up thinking, what can I do? This proverb teaches parents part of the answer to illicit sexual behavior in our culture. It is the word of God imparting its power, its wisdom, and its boundaries. To be successful in life, one needs a game plan, one needs a goal, one needs understanding. Not Russian roulette. Self-control is taught. It is not stumbled upon. The home, again, is the first line of defense. Either parents and churches are going to go teach it, or by default, the culture will. Tonight we will pull back the veil and look on society around us through the woman in chapter 7. We will see that many of the characteristics that define her also define the culture we live in today. I'll make some observation and application as we go along at the end. Excuse me. <coughs> Before we go to our text, uh, we need to make a comparison between the Old and the New Testament. It's greatly needed when we're going to the Old Testament to... Find our moral bearing. It is important to realize something. The Old Testament, as insightful as it is, has great 
great limitations. When we go into the book of Proverbs, it's going to give us great insight tonight, and I think you'll agree with me by the time we finish with the sermon, but the book of Proverbs alone does not empower anyone to live the moral life. We need the Holy Spirit. And that's where the New Covenant comes in in the New Testament. The Old Testament is wonderful. It gives us great narrative on the process of the folly of falling into sexual sin. We're going to see as we go through this whole chapter. But it, it leaves you powerless. Christ is our wisdom. Christ is our power. Uh, a matter of fact, we can go into much of the New Testament to really find our moral bearings and our moral strength and our moral hope. We know that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us, don't we? And we know that he who lives us is greater than he who lives in the world. And because we are now uh, temples of the Holy Spirit, we can uh, pursue holiness in the fear of God. We know if we're led by the Spirit, we will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. Just with the name of Jesus comes a power the Old Testament cannot get. Jesus Christ is our high priest, tempted in all ways without sin. We can call on him anytime, any day, anywhere. He's a living sacrifice for us. His atonement was once and for all, and it was perfect. It cleanses the conscience from dead works. There's no time to have to beat oneself up. The blood of Christ is powerful to cleanse. The Old Testament saint would love to know what we know. We are a blessed people by the providence of God to be saved when and where we were saved. Also, it's important to know about Proverbs. Uh, Proverbs is to help the young acquire the mental skills needed to live a moral life in this world, to develop moral character. One Old Testament uh, scholar says that the fear of the Lord means God is the supreme one in the life of the believer. That God, the person, orders his whole life around their relationship with God. They do nothing at all in the world in any other interpersonal relationship without their concern for God's blessing being first and foremost. God's wisdom helps us honor God in the details of our life. In this way, we actually preserve our own life because God is a shield to those who walk in integrity. Let's go to our text. The chapter has three divisions. Verses 1 to 5 are a parental appeal for sexual scrutiny. Verses 6 to 23 gives an example through narration of a young man lacking sense in sexual matters, his folly to follow, and his sure destruction at the end are clearly documented. Verses 24 to 27 is a final appeal by the father with some objective evidence. Uh, before we go on here, Sometimes throughout the sermon I will be addressing parents, other times I'll be addressing children, other times I will be addressing husbands or wives or believers in general. So please stay with me and apply as needed to the situation in your life. We have people here that are parents, we have people that are parents and, uh, 
and ministers. We have people here that are children, so on and so forth. So we will touch just about everybody's life that's here today. Let's go to verses 1 and 5. My son, keep my words and treasure up my commandments within you. Keep my commandments and live. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers, write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister. And call insight your intimate friend, to keep you from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress, with her smooth words. As in the chapters before, we see a parent's genuine concern for the sexual future of their child. That they would enjoy a fulfilling married life. Against them stands the law of illicit sex, personified in the forbidden woman and the adulteress. The parent's leverage here is not a threat. It's important to understand this. The parent's leverage is the word of God. It is with truth. And it's found in the Father's commandments. But interestingly, the Father's commandments actually, almost word for word, speak of Deuteronomy 6, 4-7. Listen. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. Understand something. The Father's appeal here is not some cold religious legislation. But it's God's word living in the parent's heart. Listen to 6 and 7. And these words that I commanded you today from Deuteronomy shall be on your heart. We could say, once they're living in your heart, mother, once they're living in your heart, father, then you shall teach them diligently to your children. This is not whole legislation. This is the word of God abiding, living on a parent's heart. This is a parent's genuine, genuine concern. This was not just uh, advice. Godly living is taught and modeled. It's never stumbled upon. Writing them on your heart and your fingers was to show that this was a life and death situation and never, never, never should be taken lightly. I'll give you an example. I know many parents that have children that own pools and they live on lakes and they live by the seashore. You want to know something about all those children? They all learn to swim at a what? All of them. Because the parent knows that's dangerous territory. But if you know how to swim, it's quite comforting and you can have fun. How much more for us not to teach our children how to live in this world morally? What's more dangerous? Living by the water or living in current? How dare we not take the time, the precious time, to teach the children the moral lesson. Parents owe this to their children. They owe it to their children's protection. Spending quality time with them, teaching them morality. This is quality time when they're sitting, when they're rising, when they're walking, when they're outside. He goes on to say, Say to wisdom, you are my sister. Say to understanding, you are my intimate friend. These are metaphors for a relationship between all believers and biblical wisdom. 
This is important because God's wisdom is not abstract concepts that don't touch real life. They can be readily available and applied immediately to every detail of life in any 24-hour period. These are highly practical for preparing a child for the real world and real problems. Wisdom deals with pleasing God in the details of one's life. Actually, wisdom means skilled, to master something. It has the idea of being skilled in godly living. Parents need to point out any threat around their children. Just like this father was pointing out a clear threat to the son about the strange woman or or the prostitute or the harlot. He, He made it clear. He didn't go around and try to speak to the child. He spoke forthright to the child. This threat was personified by the forbidden woman. This takes time, and more important, this takes love. Teaching children takes love. You have to dig deep into the child's heart. Understand something. This is not a sermon. This is not a parent quoting scripture to the son, though we can do that. This is not a lecture. This is nothing less than a relationship that a parent is having with a young man or a young woman that's coming to sexual age and a sexual awareness and sexual awakening, and it's the parent's job to prepare them now for the dangers, to learn how to swim properly in this world. Verses 6 to 23 start a narration of someone who doesn't hide God's wisdom in their heart and has made and has not made God supreme. This one is simply known as one who is lacking sense. From a window perspective, the power of observation, the power of narration, the Father gives a detailed analysis of this folly in motion. Let's read. Throughout the window of my house, I have looked and I threw my latest. I have seen a young and I have seen a young I have seen among the simple I have perceived among the youths a young man lacking sense. The simple here are not the simply innocent. In Proverbs, the simple are those who have rejected wisdom. This young man who has rejected wisdom is lacking sense. Eventually, lacking sense will show itself in actions. You don't know who's lacking sense until you see it unraveling before you like this young man. Parents need to know who our children are hanging out with at all times. Parents need to investigate their children thoroughly for their welfare, for their protection. Proverbs 12, 20 says, Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. This young man lacking sense in verse 8 says, Passing along the street near her corner, taking the road to a house. From foolish time with foolish friends to foolish places, this young man is starting to show he truly does lack sense. Where we spend our time is as important as who we spend it with. There are places where sexual sin are more rampant and where believers could be more tempted than other places. 
Parents need to know not just who, but where children are spending their time. Believers need to be aware at all times of their surroundings. All Christians, all Christians always need to be aware of their surroundings at all times. In this culture that has no boundaries, has no shame, has no respect, all believers need to be on their guard at all times. Verse 9. This takes place in the twilight, in the evening, at the time of night and darkness. The metaphors are outstanding. Under the cover of darkness, that's under the cover of secrecy. So much sin is done in secrecy. This young man finds a sense of false security. What he doesn't know is that sin will find him out. Verse 10. And behold, a woman meets him dressed as a prostitute, wily in her heart. Is this just a chance encounter of a sexual kind? Out of nowhere? No, it's not. This young man is where young men should not be. Foolish friends plus foolish time plus foolish places, all done in secrecy with no accountability equals trouble. The trajectory is clear. You can see the narration from his window unfolding. This man is watching like a film in slow motion, developing. He can see it. Not to think wise is by default again to think foolish and put us in harm's way. The culture is dressed like this prostitute. The culture is not just dressed like the prostitute. She came out to meet him. And that's what the culture we live in. Modesty used to be a virtue. Never underestimate the power to be seduced by the culture and its sensual styles. Eventually it comes out to meet you. It's, it's coming out with premeditation. It's in your face. Over prolonged periods of time it can wear down the best of men. Trajectory of this kind can take years to finally take root. You know, I was in the gym and I'm on the treadmill, and you know, you got your four big monitors, and one has MTV, and another one has another channel going on, and, and all you see one's gyrating, one's half naked, and I'm over there like, that's in your face. That's the culture, it's in your face. I got my hymns playing on. And after like three minutes of battle in this, I'm like, what am I, a fool? Can I possibly take fire in my bosom and not be burned? Can I possibly walk on hot poles and not be scorched? How long can any man, how long can any woman, day in and day out, hour in, hour out, you be seduced by this? Even if you don't touch, it'll get you to think. We've got to keep the mind pure. God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but a power, love, and a sound mind of self-control. And that doesn't mean I can walk on water. It means run when temptation is there. Verse 11. This woman is loud and wayward. Her feet do not stay at home. Our culture is like this boisterous, wayward, rebellious woman. It does not care anymore about social conservative norms. Nothing is sacred. This is blatant, in-your-face arrogance. 
does not care about the consequences. It's fearless sexual desire without any concern for the future at all. Isn't that the culture? Everywhere you go. It's loud. It's wayward. It's rebellious. It's boisterous. It's, it's arrogant. It's blatant. It's in your face. There's no concern at all about consequences. You never hear about consequences. School doesn't talk about consequences. TV doesn't talk about consequences. Movies don't talk about consequences. Unfortunately, even churches today don't talk about consequences. In some churches, they preach an assumed morality. If you've never heard that before, it means, well, we're evangelical, we sing to Jesus, we read the Bible, uh, so we assume everybody knows you live right. That is wrong. The church should proclaim it and declare it as loud, as long, and as strong as it can in the culture we live in. We never live in assumed morality. Verse 12. Now in the street, now in the market, and at every corner she lies in wait. Our culture like this woman has broadened its restricted areas. Now it's anywhere at any time. It used to be in the darkness, in a certain corner, on a certain road, on a certain block. I remember growing up, there were certain areas that were quarantined. You didn't go to certain areas. You knew that was the dark area. There was places you did not go. Things were happening there. You, you didn't know what it was as a child, but they were forbidden areas. There was boundaries in the 50s and the 60s and going even into the 70s. There were boundaries. There were cultural, social boundaries. Certain people that did certain things went to certain places in the dark. And they did their thing. But no more. Blatant. Now she's in the marketplace. She's everywhere. Now the son really has to be on his guard at all times, in all places. Verse 13. She kisses him. When she sizes him and kisses him. And with bold face she says to him, you know it's interesting, Bold here means to show oneself strong. But the muscle this harlot is flexing is defiance. Everything is permissible. Like we said, there are no taboos. This is sexually aggressive, shameless woman. This is sexually aggressive, shameless society. Again, this is a sexually aggressive, shameless society. There is no regard anymore for someone's sexual reputation at all. We quoted last week in chapter 6, he who commits adultery lacks sense. He does this to destroy himself. Verse 33. He will get wounds and dishonor and his disgrace will not be wiped away. There was a time where a man's word, a man's reputation, understand something. There was a time that was collateral. That was your resume. Your word and your reputation was your money. 
You couldn't buy, you couldn't barter, you couldn't sell if your reputation was not pure in ancient Israel. Remember how we said last week, to live in ancient Israel, you live in a family that lived in a town, that lived within a tribe, that lived within a nation. Everybody know who you are. What you did in one place would be heard in the next place. But we live in a society today where, well, you know, if you mess up and you live in sin, go to a different church. Start all over. Pick up your roots. No one knows. No one cares. No one's asking. This is the society we live in. You can do whatever you want with impunity. Just reinvent yourself. Start all over. There's more that can be said here. I said it last week. We need to teach our children, our parishioners, how to swim in this world. Verse 14. It gets worse. I had to offer sacrifices, she said. And today I have paid my vows. This woman, in our culture, disguises its hidden agenda behind religious pretense. This is the dirtiest of all tricks. This is rampant in the church today. This is the shameless culture has made its way. No, no. The shameless sexual culture has made its way into the church. Let me explain something about this verse. The first time we see this woman, she does a cameo appearance in chapter 2, verses 16 and 19. She reappears in chapter 5. She disappears in the beginning of chapter 6. She reappears again in chapter 6, verse 20 to 35. And now, in chapter 7, it's not until the 14th verse she finally speaks. I counted all the verses that uh, attributed to her. There's like 53 or 54, I forget exactly what it was. That describe her in some mannerism, some way, some characteristic, the way she dressed, the way she looked, the way she spoke. This is the first time she speaks. And to think she speaks in a religious way. Is that not ominous? It's a telling scenario for all generations of believers. It's rampant in the church. And I'm not ashamed to preach it. Because I don't want nobody getting tangled with it. I'd rather you get mad at me and uncomfortable while I'm preaching instead of next month I have to see you in the back room and you're telling me that something happened. I will love you. And I will show you the grace of Christ. And we will restore people. But shame on me if I don't want it first. Because I'm really not loving you. Do we take for granted? Or do we listen to what Paul says? Be careful that you stand. Lest you fall. No temptation has taken over anybody. That's not common to man. Verse 15. So now I have come out to meet you, she says. To seek you eagerly, and I have found you. Flattery is the next nail in the coffin. 
As pride goes before the fall, flattery, flirtation precedes adultery and many fornifications. Flattery in one hand this woman has, praise the Lord in the other hand. I've made my offering, I gave my sacrifices, praise the Lord. Man, you look awfully good. Where's the shame? Where is the shame? There was a time, as I said, shame meant something. It was a restraint. The young girl would say, I met somebody, he's going to another church. You know, he's a Christian. He loves the Lord. How many times I've heard that? You see, my job would be, hey James, how you doing? Brian Martin. Hey, how's everything going? Yeah, just checking in on you. One of somebody in my congregation is dating somebody in your church. Oh yeah, what's his name? Uh, Samson. Samson, strong guy. He's got a great head of hair. But man, that guy is wanting. He's got a bad reputation. That's how it used to be. That's how it still should be. Just because someone says praise God doesn't mean they fear the Lord. Please. She's come out to meet you. We live in extremely flirtatious culture. Excuse me. Flirtatious culture. Filled with its sexual innuendos and double entendres. Flirting is out. It's never innocent. Please, flattery. Men, you don't flatter women. Especially married men or married women. You don't flatter one another. At all. Be careful of being overly acknowledged by anyone. Be careful. Even if you're not married. Be careful of someone doting over you. At work. At school. Uh, especially in church. Be, be careful of that. Be on your guard at all times. This is a slow enemy. Please understand this. Flirtation. Flattery. Is a slow enemy. To a quick death. It really is. Be extremely careful on how you flatter. But also, what do we do if someone is attracted to you? What happens if someone, you feel like someone has a crush on you? And you're a married man, or you're a married woman. You have to be so careful. You have to be so honest, so transparent. If you're married, you be honest and transparent with your wife, your spouse, if you are not, then you be honest and transparent with a brother or sister in Christ. Be extremely, extremely careful. Verse 16, 18. Here we go. It's getting worse. The woman says, I have spread my couch with coverings, colored linens from Egyptian linen. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love to the let us delight ourselves with love. This young man who lacks sense, his ego is now stroked. My iPad's giving me trouble. Forgive me. 
Now his ego is stroked. She comes with full force of titillation. She stimulates and arouses his senses with the prospect of sexual pleasure. If this is not a picture of the culture we live in, tantalizing, promiscuous, sensual, arousing, stimulating. Everything today has the promise of sexual reward. This is a culture that uses sexual enticement to sell itself. Now there's only one more component left. She goes on to say, for my husband is not home. He has gone on a long journey. He took a bag of money with him. At full moon, he will come home. The thought that they will never get caught, please. The thought that they would never get caught is just too much for this young man who lacks sense, who's wandered into the night, whose ego is stroked, who's intoxicated with the promises of sexual pleasure. It is too much to bear any longer. And like an ox led to the slaughter, there he goes. Verse 21 is very telling. With much seductive speech, she persuades him. With a smooth talk, she compels him. The father begins to sum up everything. He sums up her ways. The word speech actually means instruction, learning, teaching, doctrine, and the gift of persuasion. Often it is used as teaching or doctrine. That's our culture. Indoctrination of immorality. Am I stretching? I'll say it again. Our culture is indoctrination of immorality. Does it sound familiar? Do you know your book of Romans well? You know what Paul says in the first chapter? After he gives a long list of vices, and after he says that God has given him over to the passions of the flesh, you remember what he says in verse 32? Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. That's the culture we live in. Verse 22 and 23. All at once he follows him. As an ox goes to the slaughter, as a stag is caught fast, till an arrow pierces its liver, as a bird rushes into a snare, he does not know it will cost him his life. With graphic illustration, the Father shows us and him the it's too late scenario. The trap has sprung. He's the only one who doesn't know. I hope that sounds familiar. If we go to James chapter 1, you understand what 14 and 15 say. But each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it brings forth death. We just read a classic example of that scripture in Proverbs chapter 7. 
24 and 27, we're bring it to a close. And now, O sons, the Father says, listen to me and be attentive to my words of my mouth. Let not your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. For many a victim has she laid low, and all her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is the way of Shoal, going down to the chambers of death. The Father now broadens his appeal to others who may be listening. To be careful. What he is saying is this. The whole fight is in the heart. He who wins the heart wins the war. He appeals to the heart for it's not the heart. For he appeals to the heart because that's the heart of the problem. And the heart of the problem is, is the heart going to follow Lady Wisdom? Or is the heart going to follow... Lady Father. That's real fear of the Lord. Who are we going to follow? The Father leaves the Son to make that decision for himself. And so are we. Who are we going to follow? For this war has been fought throughout the centuries and believers' lives. He closes with an objective evidence history holds out to every generation. Every generation has its sexual fatalities to observe. Just pick up the paper. How many politicians? How many sports heroes? How many pastors? How many kings? How many princes? How many parents? You name it. Many of those who have wandered down this road into the night never, ever to return again. Sin doesn't Let me give you some closing remarks. Solomon surgically gives us an insightful expose into the folly of this man that lacks sense. As we look at this narrative, this illustration, you can see the trajectory. Hanging out with foolish people, wasting foolish time, Go to foolish places equals trouble. But the thing that gets me is Solomon is the greatest offender to this principle. Solomon had 700 wives. He had 300 concubines. You know, the beginning of his ministry, he was known as a man who loved the Lord. Do you know what he was known for at the end of his ministry? As a man who loved many foreign women. It's ironic. And I'm going to be honest, I wrestled for days with this. I, I try to find that maybe Solomon was not the author. But most conservative scholars point to Solomon as the author. And so I wrestled with this. He's the wisest man to live. He just gave us a brilliant expose on the folly of a young man's heart who lacks sense, who strayed. And he's the worst offender. And, and when, when I close the books and I say, you know something, what this is telling me is that no matter what you're calling, no matter how well you preach, no matter how well you teach, whether you're called to be a pastor, whether you're called to be a worship leader, whether you're called to be an evangelist, whether you're a king in the Old Testament or a prophet in the Old Testament, it makes no difference. 
Be careful that you stand, lest you fall. We are all prone to it. There's part of us because of sin, we all lack sense. All of us. Thank God for the mercy of Jesus Christ. As Paul said, understand something, the New Testament shows God doing a wonderful and magnificent work amongst the sexually immoral. In Corinth, he could say, you who were once fornicators, adulterers, and homosexuals, you've been washed and justified in the name of Jesus and the spirit of the living God. Praise God. I know what it means to be a man who lacked sense when I was a younger man. I thank God for Jesus Christ. But as we stated earlier, this society has no boundaries. So I ask all of us, where are our boundaries? As I'm preparing this sermon, I have to say, Brian, where's your your boundaries? You're a pastor. You're a Christian man. You're a husband. Where are your boundaries? And I thank God that I got the power of the Holy Spirit. You know what that means? I got the power of to look at my wife and say, pray for me. Because I'm still a man. Pray for me. I'm vulnerable as any other man. Pray for me. Hold on to me. I can text my wife in the middle of the day and say, pray for me. She knows what that means. A rogue thought might have entered into my life. I might be entertaining a thought maybe just a little too long. And I can say, pray for me. i got brothers I can text and email and call right away and just say, pray for me. Because I'm accountable and I'm transparent. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit, we don't do things in secrecy no more. We come out and say, I need help. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to tempt fate. I'm not going to tempt the flesh. To be led by the Spirit, you best assure you will never, ever fulfill the desires of the flesh. But let's be careful to think we can take fire into our bosom and not be burned. So when I look at Solomon's life, and though he gives us a clear exposition in Proverbs 7, he gives a clearer exposition, or expose, in his own life of failure. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for all the wonderful promises of the New Testament in this great covenant that we are now in, God. We thank you, Father God, that now we can put death to deeds of the flesh by the power of the Holy Spirit. We thank you there's no condemnation. We thank you as we're led by the Spirit, we will not fulfill the desires of the flesh for all those who are led by the Spirit are sons and daughters of God. We thank you, O oh God, that you would not leave us nor forsake us, Father God. We thank you more, more than conquerors, Father God. We thank you that you've given us the ability and the power to flee sin and to pursue holiness in the fear of God. We thank you, O oh God, that you have not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power, love, and a sound mind. We thank you, O oh God, for the power of transparency between husbands and wives. We thank you for the power of transparency between pastors, Father God. We thank you for the power of honesty and transparency between men, women with women and men with men. We thank you, Father God. And we thank you for the exhortation that says, be careful that you stand, lest you fall. For there's no temptation that has overtaken us, Father God, that is not common to man. God, we thank you for your mercy. And God, as we keep our eyes on Jesus Christ, 
he will make sure to keep us from stumbling and falling and present us with great joy before your throne. To you be the honor, glory, and dominion forever.